0: friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. Happy to be back with you guys for episode 30. I'm so happy to be this far along, and I want to thank everybody who has listened to these episodes. We've been going at this since November, and I have enjoyed every minute of it, and I hope you guys have felt enriched by the conversations that I have been able to bring you. I'm just grateful for all the great guests that we have had, and we've got another great guest this week. Luke Norsworthy is my guest this week. Luke is the senior minister at Westover Hills Church in Austin, Texas. He's an author, a podcaster, and just really grateful for this conversation. He's got a new book coming out next Monday, May 18th, called Befriending Your Monsters. And last week, we talked to Scarlett Hiltabitel about the topic of fear, and that's what Luke's new book is about. And so kind of hitting the topic of fear during a time in the middle of COVID-19, where I think that's an emotion that a lot of us can relate to. It's something that we're definitely feeling at certain points. And so I really enjoyed this conversation with Luke. But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to tell you guys about the live episode that I did on Thursday with Ryan Allworth. As you guys know, the music that you're hearing right now is from my friend Ryan Allworth. And he was kind enough to join me for a live episode of the podcast on Thursday, where we had some conversation, and he played some songs, took some song requests in between, and I have uploaded that video onto the In No Hurry podcast YouTube page. So I would love for you to head over to that page and check that conversation out. I have the link in the show notes. It was a lot of fun and super grateful for Ryan for joining, and we had a lot of people join and request some songs, and it was just kind of a fun night of interaction and music and conversation and everything in between, so hope you guys will go check that out. But I really think you guys are gonna enjoy hearing from Luke. He's a great speaker. He has a lot of great ideas. I can't wait to read his book. He'll tell you at the end of the conversation about a promo sale that he's got for this book and his first book, God Over Good. So I hope you guys will check that out. And I've got information on that in the show notes as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Pastor Author Podcaster Luke Norsworthy. Well, Luke, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? I'm good, Cole. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Excited to talk to you about your new book that you've got coming out, and I think it's a very fitting topic. The book is about fear. It's called Befriending Your Monsters, Facing the Darkness of Your Fears to Experience the Light. And I think whenever you wrote this book, you probably didn't know that we would be going through what we're what we're living through right now, but it um, feels like it's, it's going to be a very topical book. I mean, walk me through... This, uh, this book and how you got the idea for it and, and why you felt like this was the book that you needed to write right now.
1: Well, I think it was uh, Hemingway who said uh, that uh, you know, all good art is you know, the human heart in conflict. And uh, the kind of writing that, that I've found myself drawn to is the stuff that I struggle with and me trying to process my own issues. And, you know, the first book that I wrote was about, you know, my own faith struggles. And uh, I, I know there's a book project you're working on too, which sounds very similar to that. The idea of wait, faith isn't making sense to me. I got to yeah. either give up or move, you know, move on from being a person of faith. And so that was the, you know, the first book I wrote. And this one was me trying to make sense of the things I'm most afraid of. And, you know, it's for me, it's me processing, you know, my first job where, um, you know after two years my uh, my church said, yeah uh, we we don't need you anymore and uh, trying to make sense of whoa, 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 wait a minute, I just found out that my my uh, my wife is expecting our first child and all of a sudden this is my reality and then it's you know dealing with things that uh, you know I never lived up to people I compared myself to and uh, what I found though is that in the midst of all of these things that were, we're trying to run away from is that they might be the greatest invitations that we've been given to grow. Like the, the Latin word for, from which we get the English word for monster literally is to warn. And I think these monsters, these things that we're afraid of, and, and, and monsters, you, no one really thinks Godzilla is coming to their town. Right. No one really thinks the you know the big bad wolf with his asthmatic propensities is gonna come blow your house down. But these fake monsters represent the very fear, real fears that each and every one of us have. And so we all have these things like I, I can't live up to, to this the standard that I want for myself, or I, I, I'm going to be out of control, or, or or I'm insignificant. I think all these fears throughout the generations have been put fur flesh and been had fur flesh and skin put on them with these fictitious monsters. So I think you know monsters is a is a you know metaphor for the very real fears that each and every one of us has. So it's it's. it's it's a process of having how God uses those things that we're most afraid of as these warnings that God uses to help us become who we're created to be.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a, an element to fear that like, yeah, nobody wants to be afraid, but there's also some value to it. Cause like fear tells me not to run into a pack of wild bears and that kind of thing. Like, yeah. like there's a, there's a good part of it. So how do we manage like Actually, you mentioned my book, and one of the chapters that I'm really happy with that I've written is actually all about fear, And mm-hmm. but it's all about kind of the, the lies that fear tells us. But um, there's a lot of good things, I think, that I don't want to just, I mean, there's not, <laughs> there's not a lot of good things about fear, but there are some things that tells you, like, hey, like, you know, you got to, you know, you don't want to chase after this, or you don't want to go up to this. What did you find is like kind of the balance between good and bad in terms of like, balancing your fears for good reasons and balancing your fears to just be afraid and anxious all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you said that well. I mean, there's some fears that are very important. You don't want to run into a, you know, a, a mama bear with its cubs, you know, like that's, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. But there are other, like those fears have kept people alive for, yeah. for thousands of years. Like the thing that made the hair on the back of our prehistoric ancestors' neck uh, they knew that there was some animal around the corner that was literally going to eat them. And it's the same sensation that some of us have when you know, you're know you in a parking garage and you just feel like something's off. And so you think, you know what? I'm going to just go wait outside until more people get here because I feel like there's something around the corner that's going to be working against my best interests. I, those are very good fears. Now, there are some other fears that are not as helpful. Fears that think, uh, l- like as a writer, you get these fears. Fears that you know everyone who's tried to put... put you know, pen to paper has felt like, you know, my words aren't important. I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to contribute to the world. Anyone who's tried to make a real contribution to our civilization has felt probably a fear that said, what can I say that hasn't already been said? What what can I do that hasn't already been done? And that's the kind of fear that requires you to do the same thing as the first one, which is you got to go to where it's really coming from. There's a difference of fear that keeps you alive, fear that's there, to make sure that you continue to to live and breathe. And there's fear that prevents you from being what your life is supposed to be. And if you just run away from all your fears, then you'll never go where you need to go so you can become who you need to be. And and that's the thing about, you know, as a kid, when you hear that sound in the closet, you're afraid. And you think, oh, my goodness, I I, I hope that wasn't, you know, a monster in the back of my closet. And so you have two options when you're a kid. And the first option is I'm going to hide in my bed all night and pretend like I didn't hear that sound. Or the other option is I'm going to get up and like stuff a pillow on my shirt, like for protection and grab my lightsaber or whatever, you know, plastic bat you have in your room. And then you're going to go look in the closet. There are two options that you have as a kid. And we don't outgrow those options. You either hide from your fears and let those things dictate your existence. I think it was Carl Jung who said, uh, when we let the subconscious remain in our subconscious, it dictates our reality and we just call it fate. So either you, you, you don't, pretend like it's there, but it continues to dictate your future and your reality. Or you get out of your bed, you get out of your, your, your frozen state and you go face them. And in doing that, that's when you can receive the real, the gift of it. The real gift is when you can confront that, you know what, maybe I'm not as good at whatever task as that person that I'm comparing myself to. Yeah, you can assess that and go. You know what? There are actually people who are better than you at what you want to do. When when I just started preaching, uh, I was preaching at this interdenominational Bible study, and the guy before me was a guy named Matt Chandler. And <laughs> it, it, to me, he was just like this twenty five year old, overly tall, big eared guy who liked to yell a lot. And so I thought, okay, I can do what he can do. I can do what he can do. I'll just start this. I'm you know five years younger than him, and you know I'm in grad school, and you know I, I can do this. And I never lived up to who he was. Now, you know, fifteen years down the road, I realized, oh, he is one of the most gifted communicators I've ever been yeah. around. Yeah. Um, but I compared myself to him for years, thinking I, I can be him. And now I realize, no, you're not. Like I, I will never be as gifted of a communicator as him. Uh, I also won't have those ears. So it's like a you know <laughs> give and take. We all have to pick what we want. But. What I did find is I don't have to live up to what he is instead I can be who I was created to be. Yeah. You know? And so I, I think if you befriend those fears, y- you you look at them and then you can see what they're actually trying to warn you about.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And I think you know, we have a tendency as as humans to we want to run away from our fears and we wanna we wanna, like you said, kind of lock them away and go away from and this book is about you know, walking alongside of them. And what was maybe some, some scriptural truth that you leaned on when you were writing this book that reinforces kind of the point you're making here?
1: Yeah, Well I think the reason that we can go into the dark and go into the back of the closet or go up into the deepest, darkest cave or whatever metaphor you want to use for where those fears reside, where the monster lives. Uh, the reason we go there is because what we learn in scripture is that the phrase, do not be afraid, is used hundreds of times, right? Hundreds, they say what, 365 times? 365 times, times yeah, once for every, for every day. day. Right? Yeah, <laughs> well, the, the phrase that almost always goes with that, do not be afraid for I am with you, right? The reason that we don't have to be afraid of going anywhere is because God is always with us. Yeah. And so the reason that we can not be afraid of what's to come after our life ends, the age that waits for us, Uh, beyond this life is because Jesus has already gone there and conquered it. So we don't have to be afraid of that. And the reason we can go into our insignificance or uh, our inability to live up to someone else's status or or our own basic weakness is because we know that God is with us in all those things. And so the reason that we, we go into the dark as people of faith is because we believe that God is already in there with us.
0: Yeah. What are some specific fears that you address in this book?
1: Uh, Henry Nowen, the uh, the late Catholic theologian and uh, and scholar, uh, said that there are three lies that people are tempted to believe: I am what I do, uh, I am what I have, and I am what others say about me. And so, what I did, I, I took those three lies and I used them as kind of like the uh, the structure for the three monsters that I specifically looked at. And uh I am what I do is the monster of success mm-hmm. and I am what others say about me is the monster of comparison and uh uh and then I am what I do or uh, what did I say I am uh the monster of comparison of of uh I am of, what of, I have yeah 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 <laughs> uh, but I think there's a multitude of different ones but those are some of the monsters that I, I wanted want to look at cuz I think in some ways that what we find is that in different continents and different cultures, you have like the same monsters that show up. Like there is um, the Kraken over in Europe and then you have the, in in Native American lore, they have the, I don't wanna get the pronunciation wrong, but it's like a a water monster. And if you look at the way they describe them, it's basically the same monster, but in different continents and different cultures, they talk about it in different ways. And so I think you have these different lies that are in different cultures that we all kind of struggle with that I think are kind of like universal monsters. And so I think each of them uh, connect to us in different ways in different places. But I I think in some ways, as a pastor, like I hear these things over and over again, these same issues that
0: that we all struggle with. Yeah, that's that's great. Those those three lies specifically that you talk about, it seems like are, are very prevalent things that people are continuously talking about right now. Um, do, are you familiar with daniel m do you know him at all he had a book that said he just mm-hmm. came out uh, so i got to have him on this podcast and his book was you are what you do and six other lies about life work and love and it's those same I mean, it's those three lies that you mentioned are, are in there and you know i've talked to quite a few people about comparison because i think like for me that's one of the biggest things that i struggle with is mm-hmm. like I, i'm i'm working on a book for the first time and it's like I'm already comparing myself to successful authors and wondering like for instance, I just started this podcast in November and I'm already comparing myself to successful podcasters and I'm like, why am I doing this? Like Um, I should I should be happy with
1: the reason you do it is it's natural because how do you
0: objectively
1: say am I doing a bad job or a good job? Because it's a very like uh, unwieldy kind of task to carry. Like how do you know if I'm doing a good job as a podcast or as a writer or whatever, the easiest option is you look around at the people around you and go, "That's how I can compare myself." To. Yeah. That that that's why it's so natural because how do we articulate and understand our own like work that we're doing? And the easiest way to do it is you look at other people around you. Yeah. But the problem is when you do that, is you forget who you are. You like you're obviously a sports fan. You might remember this. There is was a picture from uh, the most uh, most recent Winter Olympics where um, uh, Michael Phelps was swimming, yep. and it, I think the South African swimmer's name De Kloss,
0: and and he's, and he's looking at him and he's laying over, at him,
1: right? Yeah. And the craziest thing is DeClos had actually beat him four years before in the same event, but uh, obviously this one Michael Phelps wins. Yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert! But the, it's the picture that went viral, and everyone yeah. said you know the, the same thing. It's like he's looking to lay next to him. And so he's losing, whereas Phelps is just looking about where he's going. The problem is it's so natural to want to look and go, you know, for me, it was, I'm trying to figure out how to be a preacher. I'm trying to figure out how to do what I want to do. I'm 21 years old. The easiest thing for me to look over and look at is Matt Chandler, who I didn't realize was an absolute freak. (laughs) And so like, if I had any sense of who he was and how gifted he was, I never would have done that. But it it was the closest thing to look at in the same way that you look at podcasters or writers, which, you know, I'm, I have a podcast. I have books out. Uh, I, you know, I do the same thing because you want something to make sense of who you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I wrote something, it was back in January, or February. I put it on my website and fortunately relevant published this. Cause it was all about like comparison. I was looking at my, like kind of what we're talking about here. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm tired of feeling this way all the time. And I was talking to my wife just yesterday. I was like, I got to stop doing this with anything that I, that I produce. Like if it doesn't get the reaction I want, like I got to stop caring about it. And I think it's like with social media, it's a huge problem because you literally see a number attached to something that you post like, Oh, this post has however many Mm -hmm. likes. That's how much value that has that X, Y, that, that means that X, Y, and Z. That's how much value I have. And yep. I think for us, it's very, very tempting to fall into that trap of comparison and allow that to dictate how we feel about what we produce or what we do. And as much truth as we want to remind ourselves about what God tells us and who we are, it's very easy for us as humans to allow ourselves to go down that path of comparing and and mm-hmm. just, like, feeling inadequate. And, like, that's, to me, it's, it's, honestly, and I've talked about it a number of times on this podcast, it's one of the biggest things I struggle with. And if there's any way that I can work that into the book that I'm writing about faith, I'm going to try to. Because I think it's something that people struggle with almost daily. And it's, you could be a yeah. strong Christian or you could be somebody not in the faith at all and that you're going to struggle with this. And, you know, as, as, you, as you're writing this book, um, you know, maybe what what was some truth that you were hoping some people might take away as it relates to comparison.
1: Yeah. So there's the story about uh, David as a shepherd boy facing off against the Philistines giant, who is Goliath. And the way that Samuel describes the story of Saul is that he initially uses the same description of Goliath about Saul. They refer to Saul as being head and shoulders above everyone else, which they come back, the book of Samuel, that is, comes back and talks about uh, Goliath the same way. So you have the Israelite, giant or monster, which is uh, Saul, and then the Philistines monster, which is Goliath. Now, obviously Saul doesn't want to fight him, which speaks a lot about why God grieved picking him to be the first king. But David says, I'm going to go fight him. And so what does Saul do? Saul decides, I'm going to give you all the stuff that I wear. And so you can look like the Philistines giant Goliath. And what happened is that David looked like a mediocre version of the monster he was trying to face. Mm-hmm. And being a mediocre version of that monster was never going to help him be successful and defeat that monster. Until he shed his armor and tried to stop being someone he wasn't, he never was going to be who he was truly created to be. Like the giftings yeah. that enabled him to win—his agility, his speed, his quickness—were um, never going to be found when he was trying to be a like a, a mediocre version, a poor man's version of Goliath, and so I think when it comes to comparison, there's a natural propensity to put on whatever armor you can find to make you yeah. appear to be something that you're not, but as long as you do that, you're never gonna be who you are, because the thing is, there's always gonna be someone who's above you and there's always gonna be someone below you, right, like with, with David and Saul, like, there's a lot of comparison that happened, because Saul got jealous of David because years later, they started to sing the song that Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. Which, killing a thousand people if you're a soldier, like I know if you listen to the teachings of Jesus, celebrating killing people, probably is gonna be a little bit problematic, but just go with (laughs) me on this one, okay? Jesus wasn't around then, so that was cool. Um, But Saul has killed thousands. Like, the American sniper, do you remember that guy? Oh yeah,
0: Chris Chris Kyle, yeah.
1: Yes, so the number of kills that he has, way less than a thousand. Like, it's a hundred something, which for a sniper, I, I guess that's a lot, of, and maybe more than anyone else in American history. But still, they were like high profile
0: targets. They get extra bonus points for those. Uh, okay.
1: <laughs> I, I'm not a soldier. I don't really get it. Uh, but Saul had a thousand. You know, American Sniper has 100, and David has tens of thousands. So wherever you are, like Saul could have looked down at the guy with 100, or instead he looks up at the guy with 10,000. I think that's what we all do. Like Yeah. You, you don't celebrate where you are. You don't celebrate the giftings that you have. You don't celebrate the fact that, oh, you know, I was published in *Relevant* or *or Bleacher Report* or whatever places you've been written. You've written and said you look up at the authors who've sold however many copies and they got yeah. the *New York Times* best. So, like that's that's human nature. Because the thing about comparison though is that it always puts you on this sliding scale. And when you're in, like, when you don't have balance, because you're looking at something that's always moving, you're always going to have, you're always going to be plagued with insecurity. Yeah, like I, I, um, uh, I was taking a yoga class one time, and the instructor was telling us like do this one leg pose thing or whatever. I'm like I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling on this, right? Like I don't know what I'm doing here. I struggle then, with
0: basic yoga. Like I can't even do yeah. the basics to yoga.
1: Yeah. Well, I, so I'm trying to balance on one leg, and I'm like, you know, I'm not doing that great, and I'm like, I'm the only dude, and like everyone else is like, thirty years older than me, and they're doing great. And so I'm like, there's some masculinity, like toxic max, masculinity <laughs> that's really in my ear right now. And then so my instructor she comes over and she says. Find a spot on the ground and look at it. And so previously, I was looking at these like 60 year old women, like how they're dominating me in this. And they're not stable though. They're, they're balanced, they're not falling over, but in some ways, they're kind of wobbling. They're, mo- they're holding their, their position. But once I stopped looking at moving objects, but instead found something that was immovable on the ground, like this little spot, like all of a sudden I was able to find my balance. And I think when it comes to comparison, if you're on this sliding scale and constantly looking at other people, you're always going to be off balance. And when you're off balance, you're going to have this sense that who am I? And you're going to be doing the, the chatted claw thing. I'm going to look at the lane next to me. But when you figure out who you are and whose you are and what God says you are, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I've got a friend who is like the queen of podcasting. And when I met her, I didn't realize that, you know, Annie F. Downs like was like had like the biggest podcast uh, in oh, yeah. Christianity. Like, I, I didn't know that. Like, we met at a conference. Just, I didn't know because I guess I'm just. Clueless or something or living in a rock. But like when I talk to her about podcasts, like we are such different places as a writer, as like she's better than me at so many things that I do professionally, but I know who I am. Like I'm 38. I'm not a 21 year old kid anymore trying to figure out who I am as a preacher and comparing myself to every person I yeah, Like I'm 38 and I can celebrate my friend being better than me at stuff. And it's okay yeah. because I know who I am. And it doesn't, it, it's not dictated based upon who's winning in this comparison game. Yeah. Because I, I, I like, 17 years later, I, I feel like I've started to hear what God says about who I actually am, not yeah. the praise of people around me.
0: So that's great. Yeah, Andy, we're we're huge Andy Downs fans in this household. My wife got to meet her at one of her. I think it was called Come to the Table. Got to meet her last year, and yeah. she was thrilled. So yeah, we. Uh, she was like, she was one of the first podcasts that I started listening to regularly. Um, okay. And, yeah. Yeah, so I haven't—I actually have not read any of her books. Um, my wife has read all of them, I think. But yeah, we're we're huge Andy Downs fans in this house, though. Yeah, she's, she's like
1: she's good, she's good.
0: People too. I mean, yeah, she's, she's just like—I mean, she really is like at the top of the at the podcasting food chain, at least in my in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, not your opinion, like iTunes, like facts, like yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> like numbers <it's> just, wise. <laughs> yeah, it's just a proven thing. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, but. But she's good people. And, you know, part of the reason you can celebrate your friends who are better than you is because of the character that they have, that they oh, don't
0: absolutely let it
1: dictate anything. And yeah. So
0: and I think kind of what you're what you're getting at there, too. And I don't know if this is in your your book or not, but I think the the antidote to comparison, obviously, is contentment. And yeah. I think, you know, that's a hard thing for us to grasp because we're constantly like I think comparison is a lot more alluring to us sometimes than contentment for whatever reason and you know i think for us even as christians it's very hard to be content and you know and you're in your writing on this topic and especially when you looked at comparison i mean what um wh- where does your where do your thoughts lie when it comes to contentment and how how can we obviously we, we can't always be content every minute of the day but i guess what is kind of the key to to feeling contentment
1: yeah, I, I think you're exactly right to, to correlate contentment to uh, comparison. In some ways, it is uh, one of the, the strongest antidotes, whether it's the monster of comparison or the monster of success. I think contentment is uh, – it's not the panacea for everything, but it's sure pretty it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, Brene Brown, a uh, fellow Texan, uh, she has this great phrase about uh, practicing gratitude. Where she didn't just say, like, be grateful, but it's practicing gratitude, where it's yeah. this – this ongoing thing that you do continually, so that you don't just one time make a decision. It's an ongoing thing that you do. I stumbled into this. Um, uh, Annie is big into journaling, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't journal. Like, I know it's a good thing yeah. to do, but it's just like it's just not me. And, uh, but for Advent this past year, I started this simple practice of I have like this tiny little uh, notepad that I have my bedside table. And every night I, I write down five things that I'm thankful for, five places I saw God throughout the day. And I started doing that back in December, and I've continued to do it. And I didn't realize that we'd be stepping into such a peculiar time where we're on social distancing and we're at home. And you know, my wife is a nurse, and she's working in a hospital, which obviously is uh, you know quite a dangerous place to be at uh, right. this day and age. And uh, you know, so many things I was looking forward to, I was you know anticipating getting to do, like were put on halt and. You know, a a lot of stuff that that I'm experiencing are are like inconveniences. A lot of people have literal health issues and have lost loved ones. And um, so I'm not comparing myself to that at all. But for me, having this like daily practice of gratitude helps me to do the simple things of going, God, I saw you today and me getting to um, go on a bike ride with my daughters or I saw God because, you know, my daughter woke me up in the middle of the night last night, but I gotta spend extra time cuddling with her. And sure, I didn't get to sleep, and I'm a little bit tired, but I had this amazing opportunity to to, to love my daughter uh, that I would've had if she didn't wake me up in the middle of the night. And so yeah. you, you start to have this practice, and what happens is it, it changes you over time. And I think that's what spiritual formation does, that that unbeknownst to you, you're being changed. Like there, mm-hmm. There's a story about, um, I think his name was George Lord. Uh, Max Bowman tells a short story. And it's this, it's a crazy story. And so this guy, this fictitious character, he is uh, a guy who's lived his life poorly. He's treated women bad, he's abused alcohol. He's been very selfish. And so he's out with his girlfriend one night and he sees this other woman and he just falls in love with her. So he leaves his current girlfriend and he pledges to, to i'm gonna I'm gonna marry this woman because she's the one for me. And the problem is that she's devoted herself to only marrying someone with with the face of a saint. And G- George has nothing. Resembling the face of a saint, and so he goes out and he buys a mask and he puts it on his face, and so he looks like he has the face of the saint. And so he meets this woman, and they fall in love, and uh, she marries him. So it, what he wants to have happen happens, even though he's been wearing this mask that makes him look like he has the face of a saint. And in falling in love with her, he started to do different things. He's he's treated people well. He's paid back those he ripped off. He became generous and loving and kind. Uh, as he's been with this woman. Now, fast forward, and he's now married to her with a mask on, and his old girlfriend sees him out throughout a dinner. And so she comes up and rips his mask off, and she starts laughing, oh, this is going to ruin your life. And then he looks up at his new wife for the first time, revealing his actual face. And she says to him, George, why did you wear a mask that resembles your actual face? Because (laughs) unbeknownst to him, in this process of living this way, his face and his countenance reflected who he was becoming. And I think yeah. that's what these practices of, of, of gratitude, whatever they look like for you, they they change your disposition so that you don't think, I've got to be here. I've got to have that to be enough. But instead, you start to realize what I have right here, right now, it is enough.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And I think given the time that we're living in right now, too, I think it's very hard for people to be content because we're pretty much forced to be home and mm-hmm. we, can't, we can't go out and we can't really – shop like maybe we <laughs> normally would and you know like so my wife just just finished on Easter uh this is the second time she's done it but it's called the contentment challenge i don't know if you, if you're familiar with this but it's basically mm-hmm. a 3 month process where you don't buy anything unnecessary for yourself for 3 months so like wow. she had a little bit she had a little bit more leeway this time than the first time she did it so like she would get coffee on Fridays and some things like that but it was like kind of a, a practice to really realign her heart and her spending cuz she realized i'm finding a lot of joy in buying things that i don't need and so she was mm-hmm. trying to to re you know to to retrain her brain and retrain her mind and, and her heart on that kind of thing and so um it just ended so she just went to target last night for the first <laughs> time in like three months so um but but like i told her i was like you picked a really good time to do this considering that half of the time you didn't you couldn't even go anywhere anyway so yeah uh, but yeah i mean right Maybe now
1: we're, for lint or something
0: yeah exactly yeah i've, I've given up baseball this year apparently that's <laughs> what i can uh, um but she like she done she's done really well with it and she saved a ton of money. But like, you know, for most people now, it's like we can't go out to eat, we can't do certain things. And, you know, I'm a I'm a huge sports fan. Like I'm a huge baseball fan. And I was so excited for the NCAA tournament and all the things mm-hmm. that happen in March and April. And we don't have it right now. And so I've had to just kind of be content with what I do have. And that's more time with my wife, more time, you know, with our cats here. We don't have any kids yet. So <laughs> more time with our cats. Um, (laughs) and you know, and I've got more time to to be with the Lord. And and honestly, I've got more time now to work on my book that I'm working on. So like, I'm trying to find the ways to to be happy, but like how hard, uh, how hard do you, uh, I guess not for you particularly, but like in general, I mean, how hard do you think it is for people that, you know, maybe struggle with contentment? Like this time period can bring a lot of those emotions back and, and it's hard to be content right now.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I am one of those people who struggles with contentment. I, uh, if you're an enneagram person, I'm an enneagram seven, and okay, so there's I'm a always. Four. Some- okay, <laughs> okay, yeah. So we're the mirror opposites of each other. Yeah. Um, uh, but you smile so much for a four; you must be really healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, but for me, like I'm a sports fan as well. Uh, you know, I-, I was never a reporter, but I've always been a big sports fan. And yeah. I-, I remember when this first happened. There was, um, I think, the Lakers were playing the Rockets, like on Thursday night, and. Right around when everything got canceled, and this was like the the second time the Lakers were going to play the Rockets. Now that they've gone to like this ultra small ball lineup, and I was like, okay, I I really don't like James Harden. No offense, if you do, I was like, I'm very excited about this game. And uh, my wife's like, hey, um, do you want? Ter-? It's like Thursday, and she goes, do you want? Didn't you want to watch the game tonight? I go, yeah, of course I want to watch the game, but they're all canceled. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it's been very hard for me to go right. like that. That's been kind of like my uh, like that's my escape is sports. Yeah. Like, if I'm stressed out, it's like, oh, I'll hop on Twitter and look at, you know, whatever's going on with the NFL. I'm a big NFL draft guy, which, yeah. you know, that's still going on to some degree. But, like, you know, baseball season, like, uh, LeBron's doing great this year. Like, all this yeah. stuff was this um, – I'm also a Yankees fan, which is, like, terrible to say that you're rooting for LeBron and the Lakers and be a Yankees fan at the same time. It's really bad. I get that. <laughs> I, like, I do like-
0: Patriots fans. <laughs> you know?
1: And I love Kentucky, I've been a diehard Kansas fan. No, I don't, (laughs) neither of those things. But um, what I found is like, okay, you don't need as much as you think. And there's this great line by Joan Chittister who says, in this moment is the essence of everything glorious I've been given in life and it's enough. In this moment is the essence of everything glorious in life and it is enough, it's enough. And for me, like a practice of gratitude is to work against this propensity that I need something else, that I need uh, another event. I need another distraction. I need another, you know, um, win underneath my belt. I need something else to validate what I have. And, you know, gratitude always pulls me back to go, wait a minute, in this moment is the essence of everything glorious I've been given in life. And it is enough. And so that practice of going, this is enough, is um, in some ways, like it's the antidote to like this, this fear that what I have right now is uh, insignificant.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's so good. I think you would like, uh, I got to have Dan Orlovsky on my podcast a few weeks oh, ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. So we get to talk a little bit about the NFL draft. So um, how do? You,
1: what's your connection with, with, Orlovsky?
0: Uh, do you know Jason Romano who's uh, with sports yeah. spectrum? So yeah. I, I, I write for sports spectrum as well. And oh, so cool. I had Jason on my podcast back in January and then he just was like, Hey, if you ever like need help, getting some people wow. on your show let me know and I was like actually I'd love to have Dan Orlovsky <laughs> so it took about a few a few weeks because I, I wanted to get him on Skype because I you know I wanted to be able to talk to him, but he was like hey I can only get you for about 30 minutes on the phone I was like all right that's fine so thank you yeah, yeah so sure. I just held the phone up to the microphone like this and recorded it but yeah that was cool it was cool to have him on and uh he's he's a cool guy so that was that was pretty cool um we talked that's a little tough. bit about the NFL draft and uh I told I'm a, I'm a Bears fan so I'm curious to see who the Bears oh, get yeah. this year I'm kind of excited about the Nick Foles signing. I, I don't know. Like yeah. I was, you know, it's nice insurance policy for Mitch Trubisky because I'm not sure yeah. what to expect out of him going forward. I but. think
1: I think we've seen the best of what we're going to get out of Trubisky, which is terrible to say because they paid yeah. a lot to get him. But Foles is an Austin guy, and yeah, uh, there's uh, there's some connections. His family has some restaurants here that I've got you know friends connected to. But uh, uh, my brother's is a big Eagles fan, and. Okay. So whenever they got rid of Foles, it was like you know, this is the curse. You you never should win after you get rid of Foles because he did so well for y'all, yeah. uh, winning the Super Bowl. But yeah, no, um, we'll see what happens with the, But the thing about sports is, like, we assume that September is going to come around and we're going to get back to having sports. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I like I've, I, I don't know. But what we're finding as a society is, like, so the debate is: do we do uh, sports with no fans in the arena? Yeah. And. You know LeBron has gone. No, I can't do that. That's they're the energy and all that, and uh, I think he's completely wrong. I, I love LeBron. I think he like rarely has a misstep in anything he does. But uh, sports plays this vital role of like, hey, life is hard. This is a great distraction, and th- even just to get anything on TV that's live, like people would absolutely love it because we're oh, yeah. so um, we're so far removed from like our normal way of life, which is very like pampered and accustomed to ease and luxury. And sports, they they are a luxury. Like I love yeah. sports like you do, um, but they're a luxury. And I think that's why this time is this great invitation to go, this is a terrible thing, but but God is in all things. God is with us in all things. And even in this reality, we're being forced to do things that we didn't do before. And I, I think God can use that in a positive way. Uh, my my family is taking far more walks than we used to. Oh, uh, same here my wife went out and bought me like this $25 used bike and going on bike rides every day with my kids. It is an absolute gift to me that yeah. I w- would have missed uh, you know, beforehand. And yeah. I-, I think what happens is for us to become who we want to be and who we we're created to be, we often have to go where we don't want to be because y- you often want to give up just on the other side of where that breakthrough is going to take place. And we're being forced as a society to to go into this uncomfortable place where we're doing things that we didn't do before. Like, Slow down and to be still and to be present, and I think God is in all those things.
0: Yeah, that's 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 great. And we uh we, we started we got our bikes fixed last week, so we've been on some uh-huh. bike rides, and we started doing my wife and I started doing this thing called Couch to Five K, and it's like this yeah, app that are you familiar with that. Uh-huh. So we just finished two week, the first the first couple of weeks of that. So like we wouldn't have been running if this didn't happen. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but, I mean, there's go you, ahead. You said your your wife is a therapist, right? Yeah.
1: Does she give you like extra counseling because you know she's not getting out as much? My my dad's a psychologist, and like I would know sometimes if you didn't have enough, you know, clients, like you would start taking it out on me. Does does your wife do that for you?
0: No, and and thankfully her uh, her caseload has increased every week since this happened. So a lot of her clients, like a lot of her clients, they didn't. They were like, "We'll just see you after this is over." And I don't think anybody knew that this was going to last as long as it did. And so she's like started to do more. Telehealth type stuff. So she was yeah. like, first week I had two, then I had four clients, then I had six, now I'm back up to eight. So hopefully yep. it keeps growing. But um I mean, <laughs> yeah. So so no, she hasn't had to take it out on me yet or anything <laughs> like that. So she's a lot more uh, mild mannered than I am. I think I have a much shorter temper. Where I would I would probably be the one to take anything out on her before she would <laughs> take it out on me too. So, but it's been good. Like we've gone on walks almost every single day and started running and you know got our bikes fixed. We've been biking and that's just all stuff that like. Maybe we would do, but like, honestly, so this spring I was actually, um, so I was a teacher for three years back in Indiana. We just oh. moved to Green in October and I was a teacher for three years. I was, I was also the tennis coach at the school. And I had some girls who were seniors this year that were freshmen on my very first team. So my plan this spring actually was to go back home, which is about two hours away. And Monday through Friday, I was going to coach tennis and then come back home on the weekends. And so I was not really thrilled about the idea of being away all week and coming yeah. back home on the weekends. But it, I, it was important enough to, for me and these kids to, to be able to coach them their, the last year. And it was going to be my last year coaching tennis. Well, that season got canceled. And yeah. so now I'm home. And it, honestly, like, it's, well, while well, I admit, like, I miss being able to coach those girls, it's probably for the best that, like, I'm not gone during the week because I could do my job wherever, like, I can work remotely. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a lot of things like, yeah, it's unfortunate, but like, I've also been able to figure out the quote unquote silver lining about all this. And there's, there's definitely good things. There's definitely bad things, but I mean, it, I think it depends on how you approach it. And I've just been trying to be cognizant of the news that I intake and the stuff that I fill my mind with during this time and just trying to be as happy and positive. So that's why I'm smiling all the time. Cause try, <laughs> trying to be, trying to be as happy and positive as I can be. Cause you know, it's just like, it, it's too easy and tempting to just be down all the time right now at least from my mm. perspective
1: well i think as you know i'm not uh, your enneagram master coach or anything but you know for a you're four like,
0: Spill, that's for sure <laughs>
1: i'm not i'll let uh, suzanne do that or, or ian or whoever but uh, uh suzanne's she's she's great people too but uh you know for an enneagram four to be smiling as much as you are i feel like you're doing something right so maybe you should include that in the <laughs> book how you can be an enneagram four and be as happy as you are i think i'm naturally
0: naturally optimistic like that's just how i am so Mm -hmm. Are you sure you're an Enneagram 4? I, I, yes, I have, uh, I've taken several tests and I'm a hard four. So So I,
1: uh, you can take a test though, man. Like Suze would tell you, you got to read the books. You can't take the test.
0: I know. I know. And every time I go to Barnes and Noble, I see Beth McCord's Enneagram books and I always want to buy them, but I just haven't pulled the trigger yet. So I'm not.
1: Get the road back to you. Get her, uh, Suzanne and Ian's first book that, uh, it just okay. went over half a million copies sold, which is like it's been out what three or four years. You make it five hundred thousand and one copy. That that's you. That next copy is yours. Okay,
0: yeah, I uh, I'm not as big into the Enneagram. Like my wife is super big into it. Um, I just like I I'm fascinated by it. I am interested in it. I'm just not an expert by any means. But like I know enough about it to know like I am mm-hmm. a four. But um, I don't know. I feel like everybody has. You probably know way more about the enneagram than I do, so you're gonna be like, "That's actually not true." But like, I feel like everybody's got like some of every number in them, at least I don't know a little bit every now and then. I mean, obviously, like, I don't know. I'm probably just ranting. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm a four, I think. At least that's what I've been told, and that's what I've realized. So maybe I'll maybe I'll read these books, and maybe I'll end up being like a eight or something. No, I'm definitely not an eight. I can tell you that. So I'm not. Uh, I'm not like uh, forthright enough to be an eight. Yeah. No,
1: I I think whatever you are, you're doing great. So you just keep it up, whatever whatever you're doing. <laughs> whatever.
0: I'm just I'm just trying to stay happy this time, yeah. So yeah, just, um, just stay just, happy. So you're so you're a pastor. How has your church, you know, adjusted to everything that's going on? I mean, I know ours here they've pretty much been doing the same programming. It's just being offered digitally. Um, but like, how have how you and your church uh, adjusted yeah. to what's going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been. It's peculiar for most sectors of life, and you know the, the church sector has been uh, peculiar because I assumed that uh, when we went all digital, people would be less interested in just watching online. But what we found is that people are far hungrier for connection and meaning than anyone would have guessed going into it, or at least I would have guessed going into it. And what w- what we're finding is that people are just desperate for. Anything and so we're offering uh, small groups or Bible classes through Zoom and people are showing up to that in okay. ways that we didn't expect before. So we have our, our Sunday live stream, which you know you can watch on Roku or on our website or Facebook Live. And what we've actually done is like we encourage people if you have the technology technological ability, watch it on your TV, but have your phone or some device open where you can comment and engage with people on Facebook Live. And we found people are so apt to do that just because. There is this sense and this longing for connection. And yeah. so, a lot of churches are like pre recording their stuff and then playing it on Sunday morning. But we actually do a live recording so yeah. that we can kind of engage in, in real time. And, you know, for us, not every church needs to do it by any means, but for us, it's been very um, helpful because I think that level of like engagement and connection is just so absent from normal like life now. It's just not there. Yeah. And, yeah i mean it's super weird to go preach to an empty room it's so awkward and yeah it it can it can be a little bit of a beating but it's better than nothing and you know we we all need that connection and it's yeah you know like your wife i mean telehealth as you're referring to you know my dad's seeing patients uh through skype or zoom or whatever he uses uh and it's not not as good, but in times like this, you take what is available over
0: yeah.
1: what's not
0: available, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ours is about to start, like, after each Sunday sermon, I think they're going to get, like, break us up into, like, virtual small groups where we can talk about the sermon, oh, cool. yeah. which, like, I mean, we never did that in person after a Sunday service, you know? Like, nobody just went off into a small group of talked. So it's like, there's a lot of things that, you know, we're doing differently, but also trying to add some things to make it more, like, normal, and you know, for instance, so we had a, a, a big, uh, large group Bible study that is every Tuesday night at our church, and um, our pastor's just doing it like by he's at, at the church broadcasting online, and you just have to watch it online. So like you're not there, but you like you said, you can comment and you can be interactive with you know the people that are moderating it, and and he'll he'll answer questions after his, after he's done talking. That people leave there, so it's like they we're doing the best that we can at our church too. And I think it's just you know it's it's you can't compare what's going on now to anything normal because it's just not normal and so you kind of have to throw that all out the window and just kind of make the next best decision i think from what's yeah from everything that's going on so
1: yeah i mean you saw the nba putting uh, a horse competition on tv yeah uh, which was just trying to i didn't watch it but it's april and the best thing they can come up with to put on tv for live sports <laughs> is paul pierce playing
0: horse i mean yeah that's or ridiculous. nba 2k <laughs> yeah or but like is that what they're doing? Like, yeah, they're, they're they're broadcasting like guys that are playing 2K against each other, and then they're, like they're talking to each other over their headsets, and then they have oh. like an ESPN guy like moderating the discussion. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. You know, I'm not that depraved and that addicted to sports that I'm watching yeah. guys play video games, but yeah, like the point is like we're all trying to do the best I, we can to add value and to obviously the NBA is kind of money making, and of course that's part of their motivation. Sure, TV rights and all that, but like. In, athletes job is to entertain and to inspire and to tell to tell stories that motivate people to be the best version of themselves and I think we got to do that in whatever way we can and yeah. I, so I, I I respect their hustle even if I'm never going to watch. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It was oh. awkward. It was like Montrezl Harrell and then whatever the guy's name was that won the dunk contest this year. I forget his name, Place for the Heat, but they were playing each other in 2K and it was like, this is just dumb. I'm not watching no. this. So I'm I'm too old for that. I ain't watching video games. Yeah. No. Well, Luke, the, uh, the final question that I always ask people, the show is called In No Hurry. And so I actually created this podcast with the idea of like, you know, the idea of, Creating space to not be in a hurry in our lives. Well, now we're in a period where, like, we're, <laughs> yeah. life has kind of done that for us. So, um, what what ways are you are you spending your time that you have found to be the most valuable? I know you mentioned going on bike rides with your kids, but you know what's kind of been the most mm-hmm. valuable use of your time so far? It's hard to beat the bike rides. Uh, I I was just
1: out riding actually uh, before my previous uh, Zoom or Skype call or whatever. Um, and my neighbor's a retired uh, former pastor. And, uh, he has this big old mask on, uh, while he's, you know, raking the leaves and I'm, you know, 10 feet away or whatever. And he goes, you got the most important job there, pastor, raising these three beautiful daughters. And, uh, I was like, you're exactly right, Carl. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, there's nothing better than that for me. Uh, I I understand that I'm, um, very fortunate and lucky not everyone gets this opportunity to be a dad. And I, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I get to write books. That's cool. I'm grateful I have a podcast and, you know, I get to preach and, you know, do stuff professionally that I want to do. And it's deeply meaningful work. But uh, at the end of the day, there are other people who are going to have podcasts. And other people are going to write books. and Other people are going to be pastors. But I'm I'm the only person who's going to be these girls' dad. And, uh, you know, any anything that I can do to pause and, and slow down and to be present to that is
0: time well spent. Yeah. I love that. Befriending Your Monsters comes out May 18th. Where can people follow you and how can they purchase the book? uh
1: they can uh, purchase this book uh uh bookstores all all across the world obviously all the uh, digital places which is probably all you can do right now yeah. so uh you know buy from you know baker's website or amazon or whatever um but uh yeah uh, i'm on instagram i'm on twitter uh i, I have Fa- facebook as well but don't 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 do that don't make yeah. me engage <laughs> with you from facebook
0: yeah, Facebook is like the. I, I use Facebook because it's nice to like market my stuff that I do. And but like, yeah, I've I've kind of shifted more into it. I'm much more on Twitter and Instagram than mm-hmm. than Facebook. So.
1: You know, so I Facebook is where people click on stuff more. Like if you want to, you know, drive people somewhere or people are going to buy something, like <laughs> Facebook's better if you have content that you want to share. Um, but I just, it's too argumentative. I don't like, that's not my game. And then yeah. Twitter is even more argumentative. And so Instagram, I've kind of gone there more because it's just, you know, you can add, add value to people's lives, but it not yeah. be, like, PTI, where everyone's just yelling at each other back and forth all day. <laughs> yeah. But, well, that, I mean, that's just done lighthearted. But anyway. Yeah, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm on, on there. Find me, get the book. If this, uh, if we're coming out May 18th, this is the, when we're, the book, the podcast, or this episode is coming out May 18th? Uh.
0: May if it's May
1: before. 11th. Yeah. okay, if it's out May 11th, okay, since today's May 11th, friends, uh, <laughs> if you go and uh, pre-order my book, you can uh, get my first book for free. Baker has this giveaway. Uh, hop on over to my website, LukeNorrisworthy.com, and uh, there's some links on there that you can find. If you pre-order the book this week, they will send you my first book, uh, God Over Good, for free. So you should do that pre-order, and you get a free book out of it, because my wife says, and I quote, it's good for decorating. <laughs> It's uh, my first book is good for decorating, so whatever that means, that's my beautiful watch. red
0: cover. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I might I might go take advantage of that deal after we get off here. So that's a good deal. So might,
1: I, we're like we just talked for an hour and you might come on. Nicole, I thought we were <laughs> you might say I'm gonna I, I, I,
0: I am going to take advantage of that deal. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, so befriending your monsters, Luke Norsworthy's new book. Check out his podcast as well, newsworthy with Norsworthy, which by the way is a fantastic name for a podcast. I love that. And I, I love whenever you've had your dad on and it just says Norsworthy with Norsworthy. That's kind of the title <laughs> of the episodes.
1: Well, my dad is a big Corvette guy. And so the fact that someone from Bowling Green likes it would mean a lot to him.
0: All right. Well, there we go. Yeah. Tell him, tell him you talked to a guy from Bowling Green. Tell him we talked about the uh, the Corvette sinkholes as well. He'll probably mm-hmm. know what we're talking about. Oh, well, that'll bring up some dark memories for him. But yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Luke, thanks so much for joining this. And I uh, look forward to reading your new book. Cool. Thanks, Cole. My pleasure. Well, I definitely took advantage of that book deal and you guys should too. So head over to my show notes. You will see some information on how to order Luke's new book and you will get his first book, God Over Good, for free if you pre-order it today. So make sure you do that. But I really enjoyed that conversation with Luke and I hope you guys did too. It was fun to hear about this book and the process behind it and just kind of how it's relevant to what we're going through right now. And so... Hope you guys check that out. Hope you guys follow him. Let him know that you enjoyed hearing him on this episode. And as always, if you guys need to get in touch with me, you can follow me, Cole Claiborne, on pretty much any social media platform. I would love to connect with you guys. Also, make sure that you are following the In No Hurry podcast Instagram page. It's just In No Hurry podcast on Instagram. And I'll have the link to that in the show notes. And you guys can always reach out to me through email in no hurry at colclayborn.com. Also feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That definitely helps me. It helps people know that this is the show that they should listen to and just kind of helps people find the show. So hope you guys will do that. Hope you guys will check out Luke's book and also if you have not subscribed to my email list I sent out the second installment of my newsletter which I'm calling the journey I sent that out today on Monday, if you're listening to this on Monday, and I would love for you guys to be a part of that. Every Monday, I'm going to send out a devotional, and I will have some deals like the one for Luke's book that are going to be exclusive only to my email subscribers. I'll also be giving away some books for free in the coming weeks, so I would love for you guys to be a part of that just head over to my website and click the newsletter tab and it'll take you to the page to sign up. Or you can find the link in the show notes to sign up as well. But I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you guys find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you back here next Monday.